Well, it's a wonderful privilege and opportunity for me to bring forth the message here this morning. Um, Sean assigned seven of us the seven churches of Revelations, and uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Revelations chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Um, it's the second church. Jeff gave us the uh, on the first church a few weeks ago, and it was a wonderful blessing. And today I have the opportunity to talk about the church at Smyrna. So let's take a look at this passage together, and then I'm going to pray for us. Revelations chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear... A what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your holiness, your power, your majesty. For you alone are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this morning, we worship you. You are worthy alone of our worship. And Lord, this morning, we also thank you for our fathers. We thank you for our fathers who have cared for us, who loved us, who often prayed for us, uh, who gave, sacrificed and gave themselves uh, for us. And we honor them. We thank you, Lord, for how they just, over the years, just gave themselves. And uh, Lord, we thank you for being the Supreme Father, for being the one who loves us and cares for us. And uh, this morning, Lord, we pray for this message. We pray, Lord, that it will honor you. We pray, Lord, that uh, the truth of the scripture will be brought forth, that I will be faithful to the text. And I pray, Lord, that you will use me as your vessel. And I pray for all of us that our hearts and our minds will be open to hear from you. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 So a few months ago when Sean gave me this passage to preach and I read it the first time and I looked at it and I said, oh man, like this is really a depressing passage, right? I mean, this is the message I'm going to give to Hope for Church for the first time. And then I read it a second time. And the second time I read it, what jumped out at me was not the tribulation and all those negative things. It was the fact that Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus will be victorious. That no matter what trial, no matter what tribulation we are going through in life, at the end, as you bet on Jesus, you put your confidence in Jesus, you will be victorious. Amen? Amen. I was like, okay, I'll preach this message. So what is going on in Smyrna that's creating this tremendous 
conflict. Well, in order to understand, we have to crawl into the mind of the first century citizen in Smyrna in the first century A.D. I am a citizen of this great city of Smyrna. We are located on the western edge of Asia Minor. You know it as Turkey. We are a prosperous city. We are a great city. And most important, we are part of the great Roman Empire. We are protected by the emperor. We worship him because he is worthy of our worship. We are so great that we are considered to be the first city of Asia. Seventy years ago, if you see this beautiful temple here, this temple was built in honor of Tiberius Caesar. We were picked above 11 other cities to build this temple in honor of the emperor who we worship. You see these other temples here. Each of these temples represent our, our, our gods because it's our gods that protect us. It's our gods that made us great. It's our gods that we rely upon and trust in. Without them, we would not be this great Roman empire. We are the greatest nation that has ever lived. And we owe it to the emperor. We owe it to these gods. So of course we burn incense. Of course we worship them because we owe it to them. We have one problem. There is this crazy group of people who live in this city going around saying that our gods are false gods, that we don't worship the true God. They're saying that we're pagans. They have the audacity to say that the only true God was a man that was crucified on a cross 60 years ago in Jerusalem. A Jew. I mean, seriously, come on. We conquered the Jews. We are Romans. Who are they, that scum, to say to us that we don't worship the real gods? They're going to get theirs. We are Romans. We're going to teach them what they, who they should worship. We're taking away their homes. We're going to put them in prison. And if that doesn't teach them, we're going to put them, we're going to burn them at the stake. They will respect the fact that they are citizens of Rome and who we are. We're going to teach them. Then they will know the truth. What was the big deal for these Christians in Smyrna in 90 AD just to burn a little incense in the temple just to keep the peace. Why not just burn a little incense? Just go along with it. Why create this havoc? Because they understood one thing that Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If they burn that incense, they are changing that to, I am a way, a truth, 
our life. There are many ways to the Father besides me. They weren't willing to do that because they understood the truth of who Jesus was and they were not willing to compromise on that. Now, we don't have polytheism to deal with today, but we have relativism and we have pluralism. And those are just as deadly and toxic to Christianity as polytheism is. You see, relativism says there is no truth. Truth is whatever culture says it is today. And it doesn't matter if truth was different 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. If I say it's true today, and the historical context says it's true today, it's true. Doesn't matter if it conflicts with anything else. And pluralism screams out and says, there are many truths. And it doesn't matter if the truths conflict. If I believe it, it's true. And who are you to tell me differently? The only absolute is there is no absolute. And when our culture screams out and says, who are you to tell me that your truth is the only truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus does not budge on that. He is the only way. And he's always been and always will be. He is the first and he is the last. <clears throat> My wife and I had the privilege of serving in Poland many years ago uh, with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And, you know, when you're living in a different culture, your eyes are opened to, the, to your own culture and that culture. And as you know, in history, Poles have suffered immensely. They suffered under Nazism. They suffered under the Russians. And for them as a culture, they understood that suffering is part of living, right? For them, they weren't seeking comfort. They were seeking freedom. And the Christians that we met in Poland understood that suffering is part of life. They also understood that Jesus was the truth. And so they were willing to endure suffering and stand on truth. So many of the Christians that we met, they lost their jobs. Almost all of them lost their families. Many times they lost their apartment because they were seen as a cult, as heretics. But they had a richness in Jesus that I rarely saw in the American church. And we took many Americans over to Poland, pastors and lay people, and every single one of them, as they met the church in Poland, every single one of them would say to us, I can't believe how deep their faith is. I can't believe how rich their prayer life is. I can't believe how committed to Jesus they are. My friends, that comes through suffering. That comes with trusting Jesus when you have nothing else. Of saying, you are my all in all, and I have laid it down, and I am giving it to you, and I am trusting in you. And the Americans, were they could not believe what they learned. 
The Americans thought they were going to teach the Poles as the older brother in Christ. The Poles taught the Americans. And we have testimonies over and over again seeing this. <clears throat> Many years ago, as a young Christian, I was at a summer Christian program. But during the day, I, we found secular jobs. And I got the job as a hot tar roofer. Okay? Great job, right? We all aspire. I mean, I'm sorry if you're a hot tar roofer. No, I mean, it was a tough job, right? Hot tar roofer. And it was really hot this summer. And needless to say, the people who do hot tar roofing are pretty tough people, right? I mean, a lot of them had been in jail. They, they carried knives. I mean, they were rough, tough people. But I was a young, excited Christian, and I was going to tell them about Jesus because they needed to hear about Jesus. And they really welcomed the message, right? Wrong. They didn't welcome it at all. In fact, they basically told me to shut up. And they made it very clear. They started calling me preacher, but they were like very clear, like, you better just shut up and mind your own business. And, you know, after a while, I started thinking, maybe I better be quiet because I might end up in that dumpster down there. I'm four stories up working on these roofs. They're, they're carrying knives. We're throwing stuff in the dumpster. I'm thinking it may not be so hard for them just to include me with the old tar they're throwing over. And then I had my devotional, and I came across 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. And it says, Kevin, do not be surprised at the fury trial that come, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him be ashamed. Let him, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And the Spirit of God said to me, Kevin, you are suffering for me. Stand tall and proclaim. <laughs> so I go back and I, and I am like very vocal. And, but all, and all of a sudden they realized they were not going to impact me. That I was going to stand for Jesus, and if they said anything, hey, bring it on! I'm suffering for Jesus, right? The Lord said, I should be grateful. I am privileged. And you know what happened? They stopped giving me a hard time. And a couple of them came to Christ. It was amazing to see the transformation. I was filled with the Spirit. I was filled with the power. And they were empty. They knew they were empty. And as I gave them the gospel, a couple of them came to Christ. They are in eternity because I was faithful to the gospel. I was faithful to 1 Peter. When we stand for Jesus, Jesus stands for us. <clears throat> One reality we don't want to hear is suffering brings maturity in our lives. Obedient suffering makes us more like Jesus. You know, too often, in reality, we are striving to be happy, right? We want to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. But Peter 
says, be holy because I am holy. Peter doesn't say, hey, be happy because I am happy. Obedient suffering produces perseverance and maturity in the faith. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When I have shared this passage with many Christians, they look at this passage as if, was he drunk when he wrote this? It's like, what is he talking about? How can I consider it pure joy when I meet trials of various kinds? How is that possible? You see, it's a very foreign concept to us, isn't it? But James is saying a, a, a real truth here. As you meet trials, these are opportunities for you to mature in the faith and persevere. And as you persevere, you will be more like Jesus. You can't get there without suffering. You can't get there without trials. And because of that, consider it pure joy. That's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, come on, let's be honest. But in my life, I will say that I have learned that when I get trials, I'll say, Lord, help me to appreciate what you're doing in my life at this time. You see, we have a, what I call the American problem. And I've had the privilege of being in very many parts of the world, but this is distinctly American. We really covet comfort and instant gratification. Now, all cultures like comfort to a certain extent, but we really uphold comfort. I mean, and so because of that, we see suffering as bad, right? It's almost, even in the church, evil. Like, who wants to suffer? God doesn't want us to suffer. Suffering is not good. No, 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 that's a bad thing. And so we avoid it. Hey, we want our comfort and happiness. As a matter of fact, our founding document says we should pursue happiness, right? We are entitled to happiness. And so in the church, we often pray Oh, Lord, remove the suffering. Remove the trial. Instead of praying, Lord, let your will be done. Teach me through this suffering. Teach me through this trial. Lord, let your will be done in my life. Lord, if you are working in my life, I want to be more like you. In China, of course, it's illegal to be a Christian. And there are different provinces in China that if you are a Christian, you know you're going to spend two years in prison. It's almost a given. They don't shy away from that. They consider that to be part of discipleship. They don't say, oh, this is awful that we have to spend two years in prison. They see it as part of their maturing in Christ, as part of persevering in Christ. It's almost a badge of honor. We need to learn that when we have trials, when we have suffering, 
to lean into them and say, Lord, let your will be done in my life. Teach me through this experience that I may be more like you. Yes, Lord, I don't like it. I don't want it. If you want to remove it, if that's your will, then please do. But most important, teach me. Lean into it. Don't back away from it. Don't run away from it. Don't try to escape it. The Lord's got a plan for your life. Allow him to work in it and through it to accomplish his will. You know, at the Garden of Gethsemane, if Jesus does not say, not my will, but your will be done, we have a different story. Jesus was willing to do the will of the Father. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Jesus never says, hey, I'm going to put out that fire for you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to get rid of that water for you. No, he says, take the step, take the step of faith, walk through the fire, and I will be with you. Go through the water, and I will be with you. I have a plan for your life. I know where I'm taking you. You have to trust me. You have to walk through this fire. I remember the first time I came across this passage, I felt God was calling me to seminary. And I was like, whoa, God, I don't belong in seminary. That is, I, really, I don't have the money, you know, blah, 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 blah. And God gives me this passage. He says, Kevin, take the step of faith. Take the step of faith. I will be with you. Yes, it's a fire. Yes, it's water. I will see you through. See, God is promising to always be with us when we are faithful. I live in Medina. I've been in Medina 16 years. I'm sure that um, <clears throat> most of you are aware of the most greatest event we have every February, right? The Medina Ice Festival. We are so proud of our Medina Ice Festival. Our friends come from all over the place to see this Medina Ice Festival. And I'm sure that most of you have been there. And on Thursday of that week, of course, everybody is given, you, you, they deliver about 50 blocks of ice, right? They're different shapes, but they're all blocks of ice. You have no idea what those blocks of ice will be. But the artists come out, and the first thing they come out with is their chainsaw. And they just start cutting. And they just start slashing away. And then they come out with the chisels. And blocks of ice fall away. And there's powder and dust and ice everywhere, right? Just flying around. And, and then they bring out the little chisels. And they start dinking away, a little away over here and here. And within a few hours you see the most spectacular sculptures you've ever seen. And you're like, how in the world did you get from that block of ice to that sculpture? With the intricacies, the details, and as the sun shines through it, I mean, some of them, I've just been in awe. Now, the question is, when the artist started, when he first brings out that chainsaw, does he know what he's cutting? Or is he just saying, you know what, I'm just going to cut away, and whatever comes, comes. Yeah, we'll just see what I form. Every artist knows exactly what he's cutting and why he's cutting, right? He knows he has a plan in his mind. I mean, it looks like chaos, but he knows exactly where he's going. And that's the same with God in our lives. When that chainsaw comes out, we don't like it, right? We don't even like the chisel. Like, Lord, 
take that away from me. And the Lord says, no, I have a plan. I am building a beautiful sculpture in your life. I am making you more like me. I want you to be mature and complete and holy. Allow me to work in your life. Trust me through this. Put your faith in me. Walk in me. The key, let's go back to the beginning of the message. The key is that we have an eternal perspective and we know that Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. When it's all said and done, when this life is over, we know that Jesus is victorious. And we trust in Jesus when we put all the chips on the table and we bet on Jesus, we win. Amen? We win. That's the bet every single one of us should make. And there's times that the bet's going to be a hard bet. We're going to be tested. We're going to be trialed. But the Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, and you will win with me. Yes, nobody wants to suffer. The, the citizens of Smyrna did not want to suffer, but they were not willing to compromise. The line was in the sand, and when it came to burning incense, they said, no, we're not going to do it. We believe that Jesus is the truth, the life, the way. We have to live for eternity. We can't live in this little time frame of right now. We have to see Christ in the middle of eternity, and then we live differently. Um, soon after this was written about the church in Smyrna, they got a pastor by the name of Polycarp, and he served them for many years. In the year 155 AD, so roughly about 65 years after this letter is written, they arrest Polycarp. You see, the church never compromised. The church never gave in. And they continued to irritate the Roman Empire. So they arrest Polycarp. And uh, I won't go, it's a beautiful story. When you read the entire bibliography of, of his life and what he did. But I'm just going to tell you what happens at his trial. So they bring him before the proconsul. He's 86 years old, okay? He's an old man. And the proconsul says to him, swear by the fortune of Caesar, change your mind. Take the oath and I shall release you. Curse Christ. Polycarp, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? I have wild beasts. I shall throw, them, I shall throw you to them. If you do not change your mind, Polycarp answers, call them. For repentance from the better to the worse is not permitted us, but it is noble to change from what is evil to what is righteous. I shall have you consumed with fire if you despise the wild beasts, unless you change your mind. Polycarp, the fire you threaten burns an hour, and is quenched after a little. For you do not know the fire of the coming judgment and everlasting punishment that is laid up for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Come, do what you will. And they did. 
They burned him at the stake. Polycarp didn't cross the line. He didn't compromise. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And if we are going to be the church, we have to stand on that truth. We stand in love, but we stand on the truth. We don't compromise. We don't come up with excuses. We don't buy in to syncretism, relativism, pluralism. Those are deadly toxins to Christianity. Jesus is exclusive. He is the exclusive way, the only way. We love our community. We serve our community. But we don't give in to heresy, to unbelief, to the lies of our culture. That will always be shifting and changing. Jesus will always be constant. It will never change. And we, as the church, have to stand for and on the truth. He is the head of the church. We are accountable to him. He is the first and the last. We are the body. We, have to, we as the body are connected to the head. And together, we have to proclaim unashamedly to our community that Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And it's a message our community wants to hear. And when we take that stand and we say there's no compromise, Jesus will stand with us and we will have power in the Holy Spirit. We will have conviction in the Holy Spirit. The worst thing is when the church compromises because it feels like the culture doesn't want to hear it and then you don't have a message. You lose your power. But when you have the truth and you have Jesus, you have it all. You will make an impact. Just like the Smyrnians did. They were faithful. And now it's our turn. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you. Lord, that you are the head of the church. And we stand with you. We love you. We praise you. And Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we will be willing to be mature, complete. We will be willing to walk with you, whatever the cost, to love you, to serve you, and to not compromise. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your truth. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.